case was based solely on circumstantial evidence. The prosecution presented this evidence by saying that the crime was staged to look like an intruder committed this crime. The prosecution also spins the story that Darley, in fact, caused physical harm to herself by cutting her throat and creating other self-inflicted wounds, and that she had a motive to kill her children. Now let's rewind back. Circumstantial evidence can be the sole basis for a conviction. If circumstances establish a chain of events leading to the guilt of the accused and commission of a crime without any other possibilities, this type of evidence can sometimes be referred to as indirect evidence. It is important because it can be established to a chain of events, motive, intent, or some sort of knowledge. Circumstantial evidence is crucial when direct evidence is unreliable or missing. Now, circumstantial evidence is the foundation of the prosecutor's case, which paired with the testimonies of witnesses and experts providing damaging evidence to support their case, which ultimately led to Darley's conviction and death sentence. Now, her motive? It was simple. Per the prosecution, she was an immature, <laughs> self-centered, manipulating, materialistic woman with low self-esteem who thought her kids cramped her lifestyle and used them as a scapegoat to her family's deteriorating financial nightmare. The testimony of Charles Lynch, who was a trace evidence analyst, said that the sink looked unusual because a portion of the sink had been cleaned of blood and the blood stains on the front of the cabinet where blood was being shed was now clean. So in his opinion, the sinks had probably been cleaned of blood. The faucet showed no blood present to the naked eye, but with the chemicals, there was a reaction. Lunch said there were some stains that appeared to be watered down that had run into the stainless steel area that were positive for blood. It was actually Catherine Long who took those samples. The water faucet, where the water actually comes out at, appeared clean, but that was also a chemical reaction for the presence of blood. Mr. Lynch explained that with the chemicals they use, if blood is present or the presumptive presence of blood, it will appear a green color or kind of a blue-green. Now, if the blood is fresh, it will react very quickly and turn a very bright blue-green. If the blood is old, you will get kind of a dull, light green color, and some of the false positive materials will give that dull, slower green reaction. The reaction the team reported for the samples inside the bowl of the sink turned quickly with a very dark reactive result. The same results were recorded for the handles and the faucet where the reaction was quick and dark, which meant the blood was fresh and had been cleaned up. Then Mr. Lynch said he opened the cabinet doors directly under the sink to find that it appeared the cabinet doors were actually open when the bloodshed was happening and there was blood underneath some of the cleaning products. 
The expert also collected two pairs of scissors from the kitchen drawer and the disposable rubber piece from down in one of the sinks because there was a strand of material that was hanging from it and it also had tested positive for the presumptive presence of blood. But the scissors were negative for any kind of blood or screen fibers. Catherine Long, who was a forensic serologist, collected all blood samples that Charles Lynch had instructed her to, to such as swabs as of the droplets from the kitchen. Ms. Long testified that at first glance, just looking at the kitchen sink, the front of the sink had a tremendous amount of blood on it, and the actual basins appeared to be clear. But on closer inspection, there was about seven stains that could be visibly seen, and they appeared to be dry, but they looked washed out, like someone had their hands washed or somehow blood had mixed with water in the sink and had actually dried in little spots. She also collected blood swabs from the bottom of the left handle of the cabinet that seemed to have blood on it. Ms. Long said that the stain would have been consistent with an individual with blood on her hand reaching down and pulling that knob in in order to open the cabinet door. During the 911 call recording, Darley stated that there was a knife and that she picked it up and placed it on the kitchen counter, possibly erasing the killer's fingerprints. Now, there were two knives used in the crime scene that night. One was a bread knife used to cut a window screen in the garage, and the other was a large butcher knife used to carry out the attacks. Now, the entire thought that a complete stranger would walk around a house in pitch dark, attack three people, run from the family room, through the kitchen, into the utility room, and out into the garage, all while leaving a potential witness alive, dropping the bloody knife on the floor with no corresponding evidence of a splatter, let alone a knife was dropped, the intruder did all of that without tripping over anything nor getting blood everywhere? It just sounds completely insane. That same knife that was found to have cut the window screen was found in the kitchen in a knife block with screen debris left on it. And the knife used for the attacks only had Damon's blood on it. Was there a second weapon? What weapon was used on Devon? Allegedly, per Darley's baby sister, Danielle, who was infamous on TikTok for speaking out with support for her sister. My name is Danelle. I'm Darley Retier's baby sister. Darley Retier was tried and convicted of murdering her two boys on June 6, 1996 in Rowlett, Texas. She was convicted in 1997 and is currently on death row. Brings up the question about a second weapon and a second attacker. She thinks there was a total of three knives used in this crime. One that cut the screen, one that stabbed Damon, and the other was possibly used on Devin. If the same knife was used, there would be transfer stains. Excuse me, class. Now, transfer stains are blood stains resulting from contact between a blood-bearing surface and another object. Speaking of the window seal, there were animal bowls in a large cat cage partially blocking the window in the garage. Matter of fact, it was reported that the cat who belonged to the Rotiers was quite vicious and would hiss and move around aggressively when anyone approached the cage. All of these factors alone would be a strong intruder deterrent. The only place where there were knife print impressions found was on the carpet next to one of the boys' bodies, a distance from the utility floor where Darley claims the intruder dropped it. Shortly before 4 a.m., Officer Thomas Ward arrived on scene and was instructed by Lieutenant Grant Jack to supervise the outside perimeters. Ward assigned an officer at each end of the alley, simply wanting to find out if any of the residents saw anything. 
He was also told that he needed to do a sweep of the neighborhood. The two officers stationed were Detective David Waddell and Officer Dale Stevens. Waddell was assigned the North Alley and Stevens was to the South. Now Ward combed through the neighborhood with Officer Ferry. They eventually landed between the alley of 5801 Eagle Drive at approximately 4.30 a.m. They headed south, using their flashlights treading through the darkness. Ward testified that they found no blood or blood trail leading from the direction of the crime scene, and they checked everywhere. The ground, in the shrubs, in the gutters, and storm drains, trash cans, containers, even under cars. They also checked in the boats that were nearby the home and in the alley. They searched everywhere and could not find not only any blood, but any evidence. Until they started walking back to 5801 Eagle Drive, another home within yards from the rear end entry homes in the alley at 5709, which was about 75 yards from 5801, where Officer Ward noticed a white athletic tube sock near the trash container. The sock contained a red blood stain about the size of an elongated nickel. There was no blood under the sock or anywhere near the surrounding area. Ward stated that he did not take possession of the evidence, but that he stood guard until Officer Maine took a picture, bag, and collected it. The sock was later tested and came back positive for Damon and Devin's blood, as well as Darley's DNA. Now, the presence of this same sock gives off the impression of the earlier presence of an intruder or a staged crime scene. Blood was found in several places in the kitchen. There was an enormous amount of blood on the floor and on the carpet in front of the sink, as well as on the countertop around the sink and on the front of the sink. So much blood. Now, the inside of the sink at first appeared not to have any blood, but there later would be a luminol test done inside of the sink, and it did have blood in it that was cleaned up. In fact, luminol testing was done throughout the entire kitchen area. Luminol testing showed that bloody footprints were cleaned up and that large amounts of blood was washed down the kitchen sink drain. Experts determined this from their testing and the evidence that Darley cut her throat and her arm over the kitchen sink and then attempted to get rid of the evidence. It was determined that chemicals such as black amido powder was used in an attempt to enhance the appearance of any blood wiped or watered down. Some of the stains were watered down and found near the stainless steel areas. That was also determined that this was blood. The blood found in the kitchen sink and on the faucet's handle was also determined to have belonged to Darley and someone else, possibly Damon's or Devon's. The blood droplets found on the kitchen in the floor were all circular, indicating that they were left there by someone standing still or walking slowly. Now this contradicts the 911 call Darley made. 911, what's your emergency? Her testimony on the stand and the blood splatter report. Because Darley claims that she chased the intruder through the kitchen into the utility room where he ran out into the garage. This is not what the evidence of the blood droplets show. If the evidence shows that Darley would have been running, the blood droplets would have had tails. Also, there is the matter of Darley's bloody footprints. Again, Darley did make claims that she chased the intruder through the kitchen into the utility room. Hi. 
However, although there were footprints in the kitchen area, there damn sure wasn't any through the kitchen into the utility room where she said she walked at. Now, the blood found on the utility door also brings controversial contraindications in this case. The evidence on the utility door consisted of a bloody print and actual trickling of blood found dripping down the utility door leading to the garage, but there was no actual blood found inside the garage. This signified to authorities that no one actually ran through the garage and was proven their case of debunking the intruder story and that this was staged instead. On the other hand, this is where the controversy starts again because further testing excluded Darley, her husband, and every other person who was in that house the night of the fatal attacks. This suggests evidence that there was a intruder inside of the home. The infamous vacuum cleaner was found in the kitchen laying on its side. According to Tom Bevel's testimony on the stand, he described finding a bloody transfer on the handle and on the upper portion of the vacuum. That consisted with a bloody hand grabbing hold of the handle. There was also low velocity, a good sized volume of blood droplets found on the back piece of the plastic that holds the bag cover and leading downward. The blood fell at an 80 degree angle, suggesting that someone was standing up and not running past. This blood evidence, per Tom, indicates that the blood was falling downward while the vacuum cleaner was in the upright position and that someone turned it over on its side. When asked to describe the low velocity blood in more detail, Tom described it as simply a gravitational pull that is consistent with an individual who was bleeding and dripping blood was standing next to the vacuum cleaner and literally dripping blood from the body onto the vacuum. Now Bevel also testified that after the vacuum was turned over, blood continued dripping down onto the vacuum and was found underneath it as well. In the area next to where the vacuum cleaner was laying, there was also blood on the floor adjacent to the cleaner. Bevel stated that he observed what it looked like were wheel marks trailing through the floor through the wet blood. He also confirmed this via the ridges where the blood was displaced because the wheels rolled right through it. The broken wine glass also has been up for controversial debate. The wine glass was found on the floor in the kitchen. Darley claims that she heard a glass being broken by the intruder as she followed him through the kitchen. The prosecution, however, told the jury that this was not true and did argue that the glass was thrown onto the bloody floor. How was the prosecution so sure that this was false? Well, they presented an expert witness who testified that the bloody footprints that belonged to Darley were placed under the glass as opposed to on top of the glass. Not only does he say that the glass was hard to see, but he also says that the glass was on top of Darley's footprint, yet the glass had no blood on it. So to me, that means that that footprint was dry when that glass landed on top of that footprint. Darley had like 
a very limited amount of time. Damon Cove only lived nine minutes. The, he was alive when the paramedics arrived. She was on the phone for five minutes, so she would have had just maybe a minute and a half to do this scene. The footprints would have been wet when, if she had broke the glass. Think about that. Tell me what you think. The prosecution also argued that Darley had no cuts or open wounds that were found on the bottom of her feet, thus presenting their theory that the crime scene was staged. This particular bar model specifically held the wine glasses by the stem so as to not be knocked over so easily. It would be strange that only one glass had fallen, but not all of them, and the bar wasn't moved at all. Investigators attempted to shake and move the bar, but had no luck in budging the glassware. So Mr. Cron, when he did his walkthrough, did his own little experiment, did a little jiggle on that wine rack, and none of them fell out. That led him to believe that, in fact, the scene was staged. Darley had taken that wine glass off of those prongs and threw it on the ground. This is what happens when you make a determination without doing a full investigation. On the top of the wine rack, there was a display that included some small tumblers made out of glass that you would drink whiskey out of. And then there was also a wine glass sitting up there and it was displayed. And then the wine glass was also on display. The wine glass was sitting in the front, in fact, was never on the prongs. So Mr. James Cron, working under the assumption that that wine glass was in the prongs, determined that there was no possible way it could have fallen out of its place and broken off. So how are all the other glasses intact and just one was out of its holder? What? This is Killer Lashes with Tati. And Asha. Stay tuned to next week's episode, but before we leave, what we want to know is... Without all the circumstantial evidence, would the prosecution be able to provide any burden of proof without a reasonable doubt that Darley was guilty? Does the sock with the bloody stain prove that there was an intruder? Or does it prove that the scene was in fact staged? What happened to the allegedly missing weapon and why has it never been brought up? Because it doesn't seem to be missing from the knife block. All we want to know is, what would drive a mother to kill her own children? Until then, Killer Lashes signing off. Motherhood was not something I had to do. That was something I loved to do. Devin and Damon were my heart. They were what made me happy. Devin and Damon wanted to sleep downstairs. You know, like little kids' slumber party. And so I was gonna sleep down there with them. Well, I remember waking up with Damon pushing on my right shoulder. As I came to, I remember seeing a man. He was going into the utility room. I could see the side of him. I could see a baseball hat. At that time, I didn't know what was happening, but I felt, you know, like a a panic. I turned on the light. When I got to the utility room, there was a knife. And I picked up the knife put the knife on the counter. At this point, I started screaming for my husband, Darren, who was upstairs with our baby. Darren started coming down the stairs, grabbed the phone, and then 911 came on. I could see Devin laying there and his eyes were open and he wasn't moving. And then I remember going over to Damon and he was laying on his back and I could see He had been stabbed in the back. 
And I lifted up his shirt and I put towels on his shirt and I just kept telling him, hang on, babe, hang on, just hang on. The man slashed my throat, stabbed me several times. I had bruising up to my armpits. The inside of my mouth was torn apart. I had bruises around my wrist. They told me that it nicked the carotid artery and that had it been another two millimeters that I would have bled to death within two to three minutes.